Heavenly Father, oh, what a precious, wonderful thing that you did in sending your only begotten Son into our world so that he might do the hard work of saving us from our sins. And Jesus Christ, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. We cannot even get our minds around the greatness of your sacrifice. But, oh, Lord Jesus, when we see you in heaven, we will fall at your feet and worship and praise you. Now, Lord, there is only one way we can begin to understand all the richness of what John wrote for us in this word, John 13. So we just ask your Holy Spirit to open our minds, our hearts, our spirits, and we ask you to engage us and teach us. And Father, we would love for you to do a transformative work in us this morning. And so we, we extend that invitation, asking you to do it. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we look at our passage, please open your Bibles to John 13, if they're not already open. We are right here at the countdown of Jesus' final hours. Within 24 hours, he will be on the cross. And it's amazing how much time and attention and words John gives to recording all of the details that he can as inspired by the Holy Spirit to teach us what Jesus said. And as we look at this, we want to see what we can learn about Jesus and what we can learn that Jesus wants us to know. Because friends, what we have here is a situation where Jesus knows he doesn't have but a little tiny short time left. Have you ever gone on a trip and before you left, or perhaps before your mother or a loved one or a father or someone passed away, you had those final hours that you could talk, that you could say the last things that you wanted to say to each other. Some of you are nodding. And how important were those moments? How important were those hours? So this is what we're reading. Jesus is no longer speaking publicly. He is just called together his very 12, so there are the 13 of them, and this is who he's going to be with until he dismisses Judas, and then it will just be the 12 of them. So it's very intimate right now as we read this. So let's begin reading in John 13, 1, where we see uh, the Lord's Supper and Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want us to stop there for just a second because our first point is it's the Son of God, Jesus. He is the one who loves us to the end. He will love you to the end of your life and then on in to eternity. And eternity, of course, will never end. So you can be assured of Jesus's love. And I appreciate so much how John wrote, he loved us to the end. He loved us to the end, every one of us. He loved Peter to the end. He loved me to the end. And that is such a precious note for us. John uses the word love 40 times 
in the book of John, whereas other gospel writers don't use it near that much. And you see here in your Bible, if you highlight words, this word loved is used two times in verse 1. And then Jesus speaks again of love in verses 34, where he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And then he goes on and he says, by all this, men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So this, these are loving words that are being spoken here. The other thing that I like in this verse, and your, your translation may be different, but it said, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he would depart. I always get this visual of an airport and the airplanes departing. I guess because I've traveled so much speaking. But they'll say your departure is at whatever time. Your plane will be departing. Your plane will be departing. And here Jesus has been sitting in this world knowing that the clock is ticking down. The hours are ticking down. The days are ticking down. And it's about time for his departure. And he says he's going to be departing. And where's he going to be departing from? This world, our world, our earth, our, our, our atmosphere. And where is he going? He's going home. And so there's got to be a mixture of emotions and feelings because he has to be excited thinking about the angelic hosts who are going to be receiving him, right? He's got to be excited. He's got to be excited about being in his heavenly father's presence and sitting beside him and them high-fiving and talking and saying, woo, that was rough. I mean, can you imagine the conversations? Of course, they have never stopped having the conversations, but can you imagine the glory so Jesus has to have some excitement and anticipation, but oh no, what he knows he has to go through in the next 24 hours. And for all of that, and to think of taking the magnitude of eternities, all of time, every single person's sins on your body and the Father turning his face away from you. And so we're going to see here so many different emotions going on in Jesus and the disciples being confused about this foot washing thing and about Judas. There's, there's just so much piled into this passage. But the very first thing that we see regarding Jesus, and he is the one I'm going to just be highlighting as we go through this passage, we see he is the one who loves us to the end. And then, of course, in verse 2, it says, During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Now, this is all very graphic. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back up to God, got up from supper. Now, this would have been the Passover meal that everybody was having. This is not yet what we call the Lord's Supper. He will be dismissing Judas as far as my understanding is regarding the timing, putting all the gospel passages together before the actual Lord's Supper part of it. But he gets up and he gets a towel and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. But I, I want you to see here, because it got my attention in verse 4, where it says he got up from supper and he laid aside his garments. He laid aside his garments. Pay attention to that. 
because we find that where it says that he laid aside his garments, we begin seeing now very visually what he is demonstrating, and that is Jesus, not the Son of God, exalted, but we're seeing the Son, Jesus, the Son of God, the servant who laid aside everything for us. And friends, he didn't just lay aside his outer garments. He had already laid aside his heavenly glory, right? And coming here. And now he's laying aside his robes and his outer garments to do something very um, that a servant would have done, the lowliest of servants that are going to do. But then he is not only going to have laid aside his heavenly glory and not only lay, lay aside his earthly garments, he is going to be stripped and on that cross. They would strip them. He's going to be bare. He lays aside everything, everything for us in humility to take the role of a servant and taking that towel and washing the disciples' feet and drying them. Do you realize that when he washed them and he dried them, it was muddy because they wore sandals and they had walked through, whether it was dusty roads or if it had rained, it was muddy. And he took that on himself. He took it on himself when he died on the cross, that, that mud that he was washing away from them was symbolic of the sin that he was going to wash away from them. And of course, we read on and we, we understand this because he explains it. He poured the water into the basin. Verse 6 says, So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Jesus is going to say that many times. I know you don't get it now, but you will later. I know you don't understand now, but you will later. And isn't that also the truth in regard to some of the circumstances in our lives? We don't understand it now, but we will. In verse 8, Peter said, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Friends, do you understand that? If you're sitting in the sanctuary, more than likely you do. You are women who have been coming to Bible study. But there may be somebody in your life, a loved one or a friend or a neighbor, and they do not understand. They have no part in Jesus. They have no part in God. They have no part in eternal life. They have no part in heaven unless their sins are acknowledged. I'm a sinner. And unless those sins they acknowledge Jesus took. Our dog Katie is just a sweetheart, our lab. But every morning when she runs out and she goes and she does her little thing, she'll want to tear right back into the house with muddy feet, wet feet, whatever it may be. Because who's at the door? I am. Nope. Katie. Katie. And I've got my towel. And I take one paw, wipe it off, one paw, wipe it off, bump her around. And so she's licking me and I'm trying to get her. Because I don't want my dog running in my house with my light-colored carpet with muddy feet. Jesus doesn't want us with our sin running into heaven. So he's taking care of it. He's taking care of it. But we have to submit 
to his cleansing of us. And that's what Peter did. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So in other words, he is saying, if you have been forgiven of your sins, you do not need to pray to receive Christ and be forgiven of your sins by Jesus every single day. You simply need to confess your daily sin because your daily sin will create a barrier, will create a lack of fellowship between you and the Lord. But if you have confessed your sins and prayed and received Jesus as your savior, you don't need to do that and pray that prayer every day. But it is very important that we stay clean before the Lord, which is why daily confession or at the moment you're convicted of sin and you recognize it, you say, God, forgive me. I just said something I shouldn't have said, or Lord, forgive me. I didn't pay attention to you. And so we see Jesus is a servant and then we see Jesus in verses 6 through 10, who is the sanctifier, who washes away our filthy sin. And next, we see how Jesus is the sovereign Lord who knows each of us and who knows what even we are going to do. And that's why Jesus was able to say, not all of you are clean, because Judas, he knew, was not clean. He knew that Jesus had already allowed Satan to influence him and what was going to happen regarding Judas. In verse 12, Jesus goes on and he says, so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again to them, he said, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord, and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, remember that truly, truly means this is coming from the source of who created you and the world and the universe. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you do these things, you are blessed if you do them. And so here Jesus is saying, hey, you call me Lord. You call me teacher. What are you going to do? What I, the Lord, tell you, and are you going to do what I, the teacher, teach you? And that's a good question that the Lord presents to me. Is it a good question that he presents to you? Because he is saying here, you will be blessed if you do it. He is a sovereign who knows each of us, but in 1216, he shows us as the sovereign how we are to live in relation to one another. The disciples had argued about who would be greatest in the kingdom of God. Who would get to sit where when they were in the kingdom of God? And Jesus is just saying, hey folks, this, this, is, this is about us loving and serving one another. And so he shows us how to live with one another, but he also tells us in verse 17, the secret of being blessed. Because some of us are like, oh, it just seems like some, they get so many blessings or they're blessed or she's blessed or whatever. Well, do you know what the secret of being blessed is? Jesus has just told us. Did you read it? Did you see it? He said, 
in verse 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you, what? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Yes, you are blessed if you what? Yes, do what? What Jesus has shown us, what Jesus tells us. So friends, it's not enough for us to come in here and get real biblically smart. What matters is when we leave here and if we do as Jesus has exemplified doing, because he is showing us and now he expects us to do it. He goes on and he says in verse 18, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I've chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Of course, you know, he is quoting Psalm 41, 9. Jesus is speaking the scripture. The scripture is being fulfilled. Verse 19, he says, from now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. And again, we have another truly, truly in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now we get to this very troubling part now in verse 21, Jesus was definitely troubled about it. So you may find yourself as you empathize and you place yourself there and you consider what it must have been like in this moment for it to have been Jesus and for the betrayal to be set into motion, the hour to truly be doing a countdown. And we, Jesus says to us, as we said last week, you can be in the center of God's will, but your soul still be troubled. You can be in the center of God's will, but your soul still be troubled. And Jesus, as this was, verse 21, when Jesus had said this, he became what? Troubled in spirit. And he testified and said again, truly, truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. Now, friends, that had to send a shock through the disciples. Because let's just say that the 13 of us right here had been together for three years. And we knew that these folks over here had been trying to catch us and capture us and kill me or kill you if you're Jesus. And so Jesus had even been going at different times and hiding so that these folks wouldn't kill Jesus over here, and now all of a sudden, within the circle, within this circle, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. One of us, one of us, but we're your, your disciples. We're your confidence. We're the ones who said that we would go with you when you went back to Mary and Martha's house and said we would die with you. It's going to be one of us who betrays you, not Nicodemus, not somebody else, one of us. And so the disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. And there was one reclining on Jesus, who Jesus loved, and people acknowledge this as being John himself. And Simon Peter gestured to him from across the table and said, tell us who it is he's talking about. And so John leans back toward Jesus 
And it'd be kind of like if you were sitting at the table and there was a group of people and, and you just kind of leaned over to say something privately to someone. And so John just kind of leans over and asked Jesus, who is it? And Jesus answered and said, that is the one for whom I will dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after the morsel, Simon then entered into him. He, he had an opportunity. He didn't have to take it. Jesus didn't grab his neck and cram it down his throat. He handed it to him. And you know the eye contact they must have had. Judas had been so irritated since Mary, in his thoughts, wasted that fragrant aroma and perfume. He had been so irritated because he didn't get to pilfer off from that. And so he had gone already to the Pharisees and, and he had said he was willing to negotiators to somehow talk or he was going to do this with them. And he had already premeditated this, but Judas went ahead and he took it and he ate it. As we look at this passage, it says in verse 28, no one of those reclining at the table knew this, knew for what purpose he had said this to them. For some were supposing because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things that we have need of for the feast or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately and it was night. Y'all all know that night symbolizes the darkness, the hour of darkness, the hour of the devil, the hour of Satan has arrived. Of course, Jesus' spirit was troubled. And there he was with his closest disciples in this moment. As we look at this, we see scripture being fulfilled in verses 18 through 20. And in verses 21 through 30, we are, Jesus solemnly warns us that Satan can enter a person. We talk about receiving Christ and receiving the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of Christ. And a thought, an idea had already been put in Judas's mind, an idea, before we are told... Because it says, <clears throat> during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. So the devil had already put it in his mind and his heart that G Judas's, that he might just betray Jesus. But now a transaction was made. You know, you can, have, before you accepted Christ, or even perhaps there's someone now hearing or watching or listening, and you've, if you've heard... And you've had some of this scripture put in your heart or mind. You may have been raised in a Christian school and you memorized scripture and you've had God's words in your heart and mind. But that's different from receiving Jesus into you. That's different from receiving the spirit of Christ into your being. When you receive the spirit of Christ into your being, then that is when you become a Christian. And what Judas did in this transaction was he opened himself up not to the spirit of Christ. He opened himself up to the devil to enter into him. We see such a contrast here 
Because now Jesus says, if God is glorified, I'm sorry, verse 31. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in me, God will also glorify me in himself and will glorify him immediately. Jesus is talking about the glory of God. Jesus is talking about the glory of God in him. He is talking about his exaltation to the throne of God once again. It's, it's already happened in his mind and heart. It is already a done deal. He is already betrayed. He is already on the cross. He has already suffered. He is already raised. This is all here just happening. And then we see in 33 through 35, the standard of love that Jesus gives us. And he says, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. We're talking a few hours. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I will also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is extremely important that you and I do not harbor sin that you and I do not harbor resentment toward one another, that you and I do not entertain lies or bad things or gossip or harmful things about one another. You are a vessel of God. It's extremely important that you keep your vessel, your mind, your heart clean because the only thing that is supposed to be in your vessel where the Holy Spirit lives is that which is pure and holy and true and right and all that Paul writes in Philippians. So we see that we are to love one another. And if there is something that is keeping you and me from loving one another, we need to talk. And that's why Jesus has said in Matthew 18, that if one of us sins, we're to go to the person and say, Debbie, you, you offended me or whatever, and I have the chance to apologize. I don't know if you don't come to me, and you don't know if I have something against you that you may have done. But things can build up. They can build up in a marriage. They can build up in, in parent-children relationships. Friends, we must do what Jesus teaches us, right? We must be these vessels of love as he tells us to be. So we see again in 36 through 38, another sovereign foreknowledge and warning that Jesus is going to give. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Simon's getting panicky because for the first time, Jesus has said, you can't follow me. And that's all they've been doing the last three years. And, and Jesus has not been letting the Pharisees and the Sadducees know where he was at times and follow him. And now this is heartbreaking to Peter. This would be like if, if a parent or a spouse said, you can't come, and like, but I want to come. I've left everything. I want, I want to come. No, you can't come. And, and so Peter is so confused and said, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, the third one. Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me. Friends, I highlighted in my Bible 
verse 21, where Jesus said to uh, Judas, in effect, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Over here in verse 36, Jesus is saying, right now you cannot follow me. And now he is saying to Peter, you are going to deny me. I want you to keep that in mind as we go ahead and look at this final summary here. And that is, of course, that the devil sifts believers, and we will be looking at Peter very in-depth as we get to where he actually did deny him. But I want us to understand this very important principle, and that is that our heart and our mind are spiritual receptors. They're spiritual receptors to either Jesus or the devil. Our minds and our hearts, our spirits, our spiritual receptors guard them well. Proverbs, Psalms, Psalms 119, 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So many different passages talk about how important it is, the mind-heart connection. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. What happened? Look at the two hearts up there. Study this graphic. God the Father's poured into Jesus, his son, who he is, sacrificial love. That's Jesus' heart. The devil, the father of lies, who's a murderer from the beginning, put into the heart of Judas the idea to betray him. And then he himself entered Judas's heart to carry out that. God's words, his thoughts can be put in a heart. That's what we are doing. That's what you're doing. It's the best thing you can do in the world. Invite your friends. This is a safeguard. This is the best thing any of us can do is put God's word in our hearts, in our minds. Best thing that you can ever do because they can be put in our heart and mind. And if they can, we sure need them. Amen. But also, as Jesus has just showed us and said, Satan's words and thoughts can be put in a heart. Is that scary? Yes, it is. That's why there's such horrible child abuse, molestation, rape, murders, devastations that we see in our world. Jesus was glorified. Saint Judas was demonized. There were 13 men. Two of them are going to be dead in the next 24 hours. Two of those 13 are going to be dead in the next 24 hours, both ha hanging on a tree. Have you ever thought about that? Two of the 13 dead, hanging on a tree. One sacrificially giving his life for you and me. One selfishly for 30 shekels of silver, living for himself, filled only with regret. Son of God, 
sacrificially paid our sin debt, Judas, Satan's pawn, filled only with regret, hung himself. So here's the question, friends. Who are we listening to? Who are we following? As we close with this encouragement, I want you, number one, to know what you already know, but I want you to hear it again. Because it is our word that God wants in our heart. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God so loves you. Keep that in the forefront of your mind and your heart. But second is that everything is about your relationship to Jesus. Would you read that with me? Everything is about your relationship to Jesus. Now personalize it and change the word your to my. Everything is about my relationship to Jesus. Yes, everything. Read this with me. And let's change it to my instead of your. Everything, the thoughts I allow in my mind, what I dwell on in my heart. If I love as Jesus loves, if I betray Jesus for money, as Judas did, if I deny Jesus when confronted, as Peter did. Everything is about your relationship to Jesus. Everything. The thoughts you allow in your heart, mind, and what you dwell on in your heart. Pay attention to what you're dwelling on, friend. If you catch yourself dwelling on somebody you're mad at or feeling sorry for yourself, or you catch yourself dwelling on, you, you get that thing out. You get that thing out. You and I are warned. We must guard our minds. We must guard our hearts. Jesus laid down his life for you and me. What do you need to lay down for him? Father, thank you so much for your word. Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you for reminding us that you are Lord and you are teacher and you have given us an example that we should follow it. Help us walk out of here more determined than ever that we will guard our mind, we will guard our heart, and that everything we do, we are going to be mindful that it is a reflection on you and we are either building relationships for the kingdom or we are tearing them down. Use us as encouragers. Use us to exemplify your love. Use us to draw others to you. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.